With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Source Material Live. I'm your host, the Mandated Reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And November has become Christian month. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Christian. How do you do, sir? Hey, how's it going? Uh, got a little uh, thing going on with my voice right now, but I suppose it stands to reason since... Uh, my uh, my town, my hometown of uh, of Arizona, somewhere in Arizona, it, it finally broke from being you know in the 90s plus in the temperatures, and uh, no sooner does that happen than uh, nah, I'm I'm coming under the weather, so I can't even be outside to enjoy the actual bearable temperatures. So, and and the five minutes of of the year that we actually get of autumn, I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> miss it. So. Uh, yeah, there's that. But uh, I'm very psyched to uh, to take a trip back to Opal City today. Yes, um, we had a calendar full of comics that we were going to do uh, based on movies and whatnot, and then movies died. They went away. They did. And that left me with nothing to cover in terms of comics, not a whole lot to synergize with. Um, we covered... AEW wrestling earlier today. There's nothing, you know, no comic books that really synergize with that. So, you know, I, uh, I've been having Christian come on this show now for a while, and he said, hey, is it every once in a while, could I pick a book? And <laughs> at first I said, no, I'm in charge. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, I, I took a deep breath, and I, I got off my high horse, and I said, all right, tell you what. Why don't you go ahead and pick a book? And then the entire month of November fell apart for me. It did. So he picks all the books uh, for the month of November. Isn't that wonderful? And the first one he picked was Starman, Sins of the Father, which encompasses issue, Starman issues from 1994, um, issues 0 through 5. Mm -hmm. So, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and give my jaw a rest for a moment, and I'm going to let so you explain in great detail why you picked this book and why you wanted to talk about it tonight. Well, mostly, um, I have a thing where uh, when I discover books at a certain like age uh, of my own personal age here, I discovered Starman when I was a late teen, early twenties, and it was a very uh, different time in my life, you know. And it's 
books that I discovered in that weird little window that I have so much trouble going back and revisiting. I don't know if it's just I can't get myself into like the gestalt of it, you know, or maybe I can and I just realize how much I wasted of my life since then. And it just makes the it sours the entire reading experience for me. But Starman was one of those books, a book that I absolutely adored when I discovered it, probably 1999, 2000 ish. And uh, I've tried several times over to revisit it and uh, never get that far. I just I just can't recapture that same magic as uh, the first time I did it. And so having it here on the docket on the show it gave me an impetus to actually sit through and and push through and do it, which I'm very, very excited to have been able to do because uh, this is a very, very special book. Um, This is a book that is, you know, if you'd read it, if you would have read it back in the 90s, you'd, you'd like flip back to the cover every few pages to like see if there's a Vertigo logo on it. It doesn't feel like something... It's not Superman, it's not Batman, it's not The Flash, it's not the Justice League, but it exists in the same world, and it's uh, it's on the fringes of that, it's not quite Vertigo, it's, uh, it is a little precious, there, there are some uh, very precious characters in here that will wax poetic and purple uh, for pages at a time, that's uh, looking at the shade right there, but uh, this is a very special book. And to have the opportunity to force myself to reread it and to discuss it, uh, that's that's really really cool. And uh, I'm really happy that we're we're together tonight to uh, to discuss it. So our first issue, issue zero. Now explain that one to me. Why are we starting with zero? Ah yes. Now this. Now if if you fall in love with Jack Knight, the the Starman of this volume, as we're talking about this. You might be happy to, to find out that if you wanted to buy his first appearance, you could probably get it for a quarter. Um, <laughs> because his first appearance was in Zero Hour. And uh, Zero Hour, they printed probably 50 bajillion copies of every single issue of that. And I think half of them went directly into quarter bins. So anytime you're in a, in a garbage shop or a cheapo bin or a back room at a comic store, you will probably be able to find multiple copies of this fella's first appearance at zero hour number one. And, uh, well, he's got an issue zero because he came out of zero hour. So all the books in, uh, I believe it was cover date, either October or November of 1994. This is after zero hour wrapped up. Zero Hour, uh, there's a whole episode on Zero Hour in uh, Weird Comics History over at the uh, Chris and Reggie channel, but Zero Hour started with issue number four and counted down three, two, one, and zero. The gist of it is that Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern of uh, of the Silver Age into the Bronze Age, he, uh, well, he lost his mind. Uh, during Emerald Twilight, he, you know, he wanted to re- rebuild his... Uh, his city, Coast City, was destroyed during the Reign of the Superman event. So he wanted to rebuild it. The Guardian said, no, 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 you can't do that. That's an abuse of your power. And so he snapped. And he became, like, the biggest villain in the DC Universe for a time, and he was called Parallax. And so with Zero Hour, the premise is he wanted to restart everything. He wanted to start everything from scratch. And uh, it's actually it's actually almost heroic the way he wants to do it. It's weird. I have a very odd relationship with the, with the Hal Jordan of this era, but uh, I find him to be far more heroic than a lot of people seem to. But uh, Zero Hour, counted down to zero, was supposed to fix all the problems that came out of Crisis, was supposed to just basically you know, put the, you know, put the white out over the problems and uh, let everything move forward. So after Zero Hour ended... The entire DC line put out zero issues, so it wouldn't. We didn't restart books, so it wasn't more like we were getting another Action Comics number one. It just instead of getting Action Comics number say seven hundred and nine, we got Action Comics number zero. And the origins in these zero issues, or the the things that were set up and established in these zero issues, were going to lay the foundation for the DC universe going forward. So all the weirdness. All the stuff, the hiccups from Crisis, all the stuff that uh, was inconvenient, they excised. Things that were convenient or that they hadn't thought of yet were introduced. It was really just laying a foundation for the DC Universe going forward. 
And so, Starman, he was being launched around that time. He got a zero issue. And, uh, I mean, I couldn't imagine if you were, like, looking for this in a quarter bin or anywhere, any bin, say, and you find Starman number one, you pick it up and you take it home and you think, hey, I'm on the ground floor. And then you're like, wait, nope, I missed issue zero because this issue zero actually builds into issue one. So uh, that's my very, very long way of saying it came out of zero hour. All right. Well, our first uh, zero issue here of Starman 1994 uh, was written by James Robinson, the... Um uh, inker penciler was Tony Harris. Another inker was Wade Von Grawbadger. Colorist Gregory Wright. Editor Jim Spivey and Archie Goodwin. Uh, Neil Posner worked on this, I guess. And we have another letterer here. Okay, uh, yeah, John Workman. Mm-hmm. All right. So, according to Comic Vine, with the original Starman retired, his old foe, the Mist, continues an old vendetta against Starman as he returns and takes the life of the hero's oldest son. Now Starman's rebellious younger son, Jack, is forced into a role that he does not want and has spent a lifetime denying. Yes, yeah, so this first issue sets up a, uh, I think it's a three-issue, three or four-issue story arc involving the mist and the shade, and uh, it's kind of like a nightfall type of thing where the mist is seeking revenge on the elder statesman Starman and his sons, and he's trying, you know, he, he's pecking at various aspects of the original Starman's life to cause him pain, but he's also setting about having criminals run amuck in Opal City so mm-hmm. that the cops are distracted. Yeah. Yeah, they were doing, there were small crimes to cover up for bigger crimes and bigger crimes to cover up for the biggest crimes, so... It was a very uh, labyrinthine sort of a plan here from uh, The Mist, but this is a really good issue. Um, I love the... uh, It's one of those things... And we're going to talk a little bit about nostalgia in just a minute because uh, this book is brimming in nostalgia as a a product and as a concept. And... uh, I'm, I wasn't here for this. I didn't buy this issue when it hit the when it hit the stands here. So I knew uh, this volume of Starman as being, you know, Jack Knight. But I could imagine, like, if you buy this and you see David get killed, like, within the first, like, two or three pages of yeah. the volume. I, I wish I could have been there as it was coming out so I could have reacted properly, you know? And uh, a lot of this, as, as I was saying, with nostalgia, Jack Knight's whole thing is that he runs a junk store, you know? And I think that's perfect for the tone of this book because Opal City is kind of its kind of an old-fashioned town. Um, it's, it's not Gotham. It's not Metropolis. It's like its own little thing kind of stuck in its own little time bubble here. And uh, the fact that our point-of-view character is a guy who is is like obsessively stuck in these time bubbles is is such a fun thing to have here. And, uh, you know, there's a page in this issue where Jack is uh, looking into his junk store. And I mean, it's not a super detailed page, but like looking at it, you can almost smell it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. got that, it's got that real, it feels very nostalgic and it's and it's nostalgic for an era that I never lived but I still feel like a like a wistful sort of uh, desire to have been there you know and uh, that's it's actually anytime I think about this book and I've talked not so much about this book in particular on the air before but books of this of this type I always want to know because, I mean, Jack, he sells nostalgia. He's a nostalgia broker. And I, I like asking people about their ideas of nostalgia and if they can pinpoint in their mind when they feel like nostalgia went from being a concept and, and turned into a product. So do you have any uh, any sort of feelings or any sort of timestamps in your head where you think that nostalgia became something that you can sell, something that you can buy, something that's available. I think 
I want to answer that question by referencing the the new Star Wars uh, trilogy. <laughs> and a lot of people got pretty upset. I don't know if you saw the new Star Wars movies at all. But, <laughs> but a lot of people got annoyed with um, the first one. Okay. Because they felt like it was just a reference to A New Hope. That it okay. was, you know... Um, South Park kind of made fun of it. They, you know, they, they talked about member berries and then like screen junkies went crazy with that for a while where every, you know, and they, they talked a little bit about this even with Jurassic World where it's like, hey, remember, remember Chewbacca? Remember member berries. <laughs> um, and uh, South Park did a really funny thing where, where they actually made like actual member berries. Like they like, like. Uh, bunches of grapes that are going, remember Chewbacca? Remember dinosaurs? Um, <laughs> I think culturally, within the past 10 years, there has been a concerted effort to recreate things that people hold dear to them because the people with the money and the people who make decisions to create things, mm-hmm. executives, and I'm talking about in movie and television, especially Certainly. movies, um, they know that a safe bet is something people recognize and remember. That's yes, why, it's, it's you know, comfortable. Yeah, that's why you get all these reboots. You know, you mm-hmm. get like the new Tomb Raider movies next year. There's going to be another Mortal Kombat. Stuff has name recognition and value, and it doesn't always work, and it, it's not always a successful formula. But I think they, mm-hmm. you know, my, my father-in-law complains all the time that there's no new ideas in Hollywood. I mean, there are, but they end up on Netflix. Sure. <laughs> they they end up on television. The movie industry sort of banks on mem- member berries. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So it would not surprise me if they were mining nostalgia, because I think that even though I'm referencing the last ten years, I would say it's probably a common enough thought among people who are creative types that if you It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You put things that are familiar and um, peg joy for people out there, they will come to it. You will make mm-hmm. money. Yeah. Um, I think so. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, like, I, I, I usually put, like, my. My timestamp. This is something that I've talked about with a few different people, and um, we we generally talk about things like eras and real, like bigger world events um, to kind of maybe not so much make it happen, but facilitate the sort of uh, the sort of industry to begin. And uh, things like uh, World War II ending, you know, things like kids not having to work anymore, you know, things like labor laws, kids having free time basically. And uh, one of the things that I thought of uh, as it pertains to selling nostalgia is the uh, the advent of oldies radio stations. <laughs> I feel like that might have been like where the worm turned, you know, because you could actually you could actually live in the past that, you know, you I, I mean, I I've got serious radio and I'm usually well now I'm on the Christmas channels but usually I'm on the 90s channels so I'm on like lithium for the alternative stuff and the uh and uh, the 90s yeah, that's, on 9 that's and... the one that my my wife and I can kind of agree on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like 
I know exactly what that is. My my wife will put on like Pop 2K and I'll be like, get that shit out of here. I don't know what a Dua Lipa is and I don't want to know. But uh, if it's, you know, if it's like old Pearl Jam or something or Counting Crows, it's like, yeah, let's do that. But I always I always think back to like, I don't know when it was. I, I've never done the research on it, but I would love to know how people felt when they heard when they heard as a grown up heard songs that they, they they used to listen to as kids because as a product they weren't readily available and and especially on the go if you're in your car or something and you get to hear something you, you, that you jammed out to as a kid I, I I think that that's uh I don't know I think that music has a power to uh, really really get into your head and uh, I don't I'm know gonna, if that was I'm gonna reference okay. something. If you haven't had, I know you don't watch AEW, but if you haven't had an opportunity to go on YouTube and just watch the package for Kenny Omega, and mm-hmm. we talked about this on the on the review show today, myself and Bailey, um, but the the package for Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page was set to Cinderella's "Don't Know What You've Got Till It's Gone." <laughs> it's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so you talk about nostalgia, and it's like half of what makes me love that package is the is the use of a of a, I think like an eighty Cinderella song. <laughs> it's funny. Wait, was it you that said uh, with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's not a good movie, it's just they use good music or something no. like that? Was it? No, you? I love Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I, I don't remember who but, I was talking to, but someone had said like it's like they it? knew how to do a, a cool soundtrack. Yeah, well, to whoever said that. that they're keying into music can really change an opinion Certainly. on somebody. They they can absolutely you can get away with maybe something that's middle of the road or mediocre with attaching music that people like to it because that that t- psychologically taps into people's emotions. Yeah, you and create, so you, look, you create a link. Yeah, if I hear "Here I Go Again" by White Snake, whatever I'm looking at at the time, I will have a positive thought about. What <laughs> are those? What are those psych tests where uh, where, they, where you have to like hit left or right when you see a picture or something? And uh, oh god, what are they called? Ah oh, man, it's a it's a uh, it's a digital psychology test where like they'll show you a picture, but there'll be like a triangle on it, and they'll say anytime you see a triangle, you have to hit like left, and every time you see a square, you have to hit right, and they'll try to form the the uh, like the positive and negative uh, reinforcement with whatever pictures there. So, I mean, like positive will be left and you'll be like seeing kittens. Yes, left. Kittens, left. Kittens, left. A, a juicy steak, left. Dead baby, left. It's like they'll try to like mess with your mind to see if you're able to follow the instructions. It's very weird. But, uh, yeah, I, I get you there. It's uh, the 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 attachment you get or the, the link, I guess, you build uh, is, is very powerful. And... Uh, all that to say, uh, I, I really like how this uh, book uh, really dives into nostalgia here and does so. And I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but they actually use some like meta DC history in here, which is which is really great. So my first thing I wanted to talk about with this book from my vantage point was the relationship between um, David, Jack and dad and how rough Jack is treated by his father. Yeah. Like, I was immediately, like, keyed into the book and interested in what was going on because of the relationship between Dad and Jack. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy to read, but I was hooked because of their relationship. And then later on in the story, and this is getting a little ahead of ourselves, but later on in the story, when the mist attacks the mom's... Um, the museum wing. Mu- yeah, museum wing... And Jack is like, I don't want to be a hero, and I don't want to do this, and I do want to get out of town, as my father is suggesting, but I'm not going to let my memory, the memory of my mother get attacked. Yeah. And I was like, that's really powerful. You know, I, uh, I mm-hmm. have to say, we've, we've had this run of really light reads where we, you know, the shows were like a half an hour long because there wasn't much to talk about. But here, there's a lot going on with this book, and it's not oh, yeah. a terribly complex story. No, no, it's just very well done. It's, it's so many layers to uh, the interpersonal relationships. And, I mean, this is really, I mean, this is the first six issues of the volume. The issue, the volume runs, I believe, 80. And this is really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, it gets a lot deeper, deeper and uh, 
the cast gets. Uh, I mean, we're going to meet some uh, some police officers, some uh, some carrot top police officers who are just characters, but they're going to become part of the family of this book. And uh, and it's really just it's very very good stuff here. I, I love the fact that that this is such a complex relationship here. And uh, later on, I don't remember which issue it was particularly, but uh, but Jack starts having like he's remembering things and then he realizes that he's remembering them wrong. Yeah. So it's like, I love that because it's just so human and it's, uh, it really goes to show how, how far you can get into your own head to where, where the narrative is what you think it is when it could very well be the exact opposite. And, uh, I mean the whole, the whole thing here is about Jack being reluctant and, uh, David, uh, being just like gung ho, I want to be like Dad, and that that will pay off. That'll pay off in the last issue in this volume. Uh, they'll have a really, really awesome conversation, the first of many, actually. But uh, the fact that he is he is the underachiever, he is the uh, you know he's the 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 alternative kid. He's got the 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 weird hair. He's got the tattoos. He's got the the junk shop. It's so solid in that I don't know it's it's weird to say and it's probably corny to say but a lot of the things that I'll review or discuss as it pertains to I guess any consumable media is uh, a question that I'll ask is does it have heart I don't know what the hell heart is I couldn't if I saw it I know if I hear it I know but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what heart is and this book is just overflowing with whatever the hell heart is. It's just, it's really wonderful. And um, I feel like even talking about it is maybe doing a disservice to it, because I would love for people just to, people who haven't read this, to, to run out and grab it. Anything else about issue number zero? If not, we'll move on to issue number one. Let me flip through here real quick. Um, issue zero, I mean, we meet, we meet the Mist family. Um, now, Nash... Uh, the daughter who is stuttering here um she'll get over that though she is uh not to spoil anything but she is going to be like the big bad of this and uh, she will have a very complicated relationship with jack and it's uh and she's she's scary she's scary and she's brutal and uh she uh, takes advantage so it's a it's it's a really cool introduction here because I'd totally forgotten about how uh, wallflowery she is here in the uh, in the early going. Uh, all I know her as is being very ruthless. So seeing her here, like like just in love with her brother, like in awe of her brother, like her her brother is awesome and her father is cool, and she's just there. It, it's really it really speaks to how they're going to build this character and the progression of, uh, of her story. It's really good stuff. Um, I think, uh, the only other thing about this issue that might be worth saying is that, uh, on the last page, there's a mistake. Jack calls his brother, Danny, and, uh, it's David. Hmm. Um, all right. So, so far so good. I, I, I was definitely hooked from the first issue. Uh, a riot rocks. This is issue number one. A riot rocks Opal City while an ailing Ted Knight recovers from a recent attack. The action forces Ted's son Jack Knight to pick up Starman's cosmic rod and directly oppose the villainy he swore he'd never face. Is this his calling or his doom? So I love when, like when they do a superhero television show where at least in the beginning it's not easy and yeah. they're not good at it and they you know, stumble. You know, I remember uh, Grant Gustin's Flash from the CW. Uh, I think he was talking to Kid Flash or somebody else where he was like, yeah, my first year I was terrible at this. If, you know, I, I got myself into all kinds of weird situations that if I hadn't had Team Flash to get me out of, I'd be dead. And I think that's good. I, I think instantly being... This is sort of my, my issue with Superman. Instantly being good at being a superhero doesn't make for good storytelling. So I like the it's fact that... yeah. I like the fact that Jack struggles... And he loses one of the cosmic rods right in the beginning, and he nearly and, uh, gets killed a second time. Yeah, and he he loses. Actually, that's one thing we we didn't mention in the first issue. He loses the belt, uh, old Pember, Pember what's it, Pember, Sylvester Pemberton's belt. 
uh, in the uh, to uh, what's her face or uh, what's his face actually the mist's brother or the mist's son I should say but uh, yeah he loses the, the the belt and now he loses a rod it's it's good it's 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 nice seeing that not only is he reluctant he's just not very good at it I think that's a uh, that's really cool and it's gonna be it really adds to how much this character is going to have to grow into both his ability and his, his desire to have the ability. So it's, it's good stuff. Uh, what else about issue number one did you want to talk about? Issue one, I, um, well, I mean, there was the attack. Uh, we saw, what's his face, uh, Jack, Jack's father, well, Ted, Ted Knight, not, not Ted Baxter from Mary Tyler Moore, but uh, he gets hit in the head with a brick in a panel that is funny, but it shouldn't be funny. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's just walking and a brick hits him in the head. It's it's pretty funny just to look at. But uh, but yeah, it, the attack happens. So that's why Jack. Uh, that's why Ted is in the hospital uh, as we go into the first issue. Um, oh, you're talking about issue one. We just talked about issue zero. I'm sorry. Uh, we meet the O'Dares, which is cool. Um, the O'Dares are a police family. They are the the Irish redheaded family here who. Their father was saved by Ted Knight back in the uh, the Golden Age, so he they they feel indebted to the Starman family basically. So they're always going to be here. I I think it's funny how when they introduce Hope, she looks like she's like posing for a like a blue jeans ad. Yeah, like it's very very weird. She's just way posed out, which doesn't fit with the story. But uh, let's see here, let me flip through. Uh, to where we meet the Shade uh, for the first time here, I believe, and uh, the Shade is a uh, acquired taste. I-, I think I could say. Uh, how did you- what did you think of the Shade as he was waxing here? Uh, I liked it. I- I'm not much for v- verbose characters, but um, I thought the Shade was within the parameters of acceptability, and mm. I like. Where I like where he, they take him in this story to where you think he's on the miss side, but he's kind of yeah. on his own side. He has his own agenda. For sure, for sure, yeah. Now the mist, he, they uh, not the mist, just the shade. They build him up really well here. When I first started reading this, though, I thought he was going to be a hurdle. I'd have to jump, but uh, you, you fall for the guy pretty quick in this. It's it's just more uh, a testament to to the writing in this series that uh, that they were able to do the do what they did with the shade who. You know, I, I don't know that... It's weird. When you take characters from the Golden Age and you bring them to the to the present year, whatever year that might be, it feels like you can go, like, one of two ways, right? You could, like... You could take, say, Starman, Ted Knight, and you could put him, like, in a leather jacket and give him a mohawk and, and all that stupid crap that you think of, like, this is the now. We gotta make him look like this. Or you can, you can make Starman... Into into what's her face, uh, Courtney? What the hell was her name? <laughs> Star Girl. Oh, <laughs> they, yeah. they could they could just have her instead of him. You know, you could do all sorts of weird stuff. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Robinson. What he did was that he he made everything work. He didn't he didn't rob Peter to pay Paul as it pertained to taking a character, taking a concept from uh, uh you know from the the days of yore. Uh, the 30s and 40s, bringing them into the 90s, and not making him seem goofy, not making him seem out of place, and not changing him so he'd fit. Uh, it's really, I mean, James Robinson is like of the of like the Jeff Johns uh, ilk, where he can where he has the ability to do that. Um, as this was going on, I mean, just a, a year or so after this, the JSA would be launched, which was the like the new retelling or the bringing to the present year the Justice Society, which another one of those things could have went one of two ways. It could have been let's let's give them all nose rings and uh, and mohawks, or we could bring them their the classic characters here and just make it work. And with someone like the Shade, with someone like anybody in the JSA, Golden Age character. It's a hard task, and we see here it's pulled off really, really well. Issue number two, The Mist meets with fellow Starman villain The Shade to form a plan of attack on Opal City, while new Starman Jack Knight assembles a costume to face the Mist daughter. But before diving into battle, Jack detours to a fortune teller store for a 
quick glimpse at a possible outcome for the battle. Uh, yeah, I like the exchange he has with the fortune teller. I was wondering where that was going, and it seemed weird at first, but I kind of liked, you know, like, he's in there just to catch his breath, you know, and, and get out of uh, harm's way for a moment, and the fortune teller just, like, tells him the story about how, you know, she was in this small town, and she uh, she read fortunes, and eventually people just sort of got bored of it and stopped coming, so she's moving on to greener pastures, and then she tells his fortune, and he's like, you're going to be a hero, you're going to be a great hero, you're, you know, things are going to happen for you, and Jack's like, don't tell me that. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> one, this, this is a one-time thing. Now, there's a, there's a line from uh, the fortune teller here, I was in Charity. She says, down south I had a house, big and damp. Locals called, they had a name for it, the Dark Mansion. They called it, oh, the, the, dark, dark, the dark Mansion they called it, and they'd come and hear my stories, my forbidden tales. I mentioned there was some meta DC in here. Back in the, uh, the, the early 70s, there was a DC comic called Forbidden Tales of Dark Mansion. So that's a reference to an old horror anthology, which I thought was really cool. And I'm sure I did not get that back in 1999 when I first read this. But knowing, you know, being a fake-ass comics historian now, that jumped right off the page at me. I thought that was really cool that they, that they would mention that. Um, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, it's, and I mean, it's, it's one of those things where if you noticed it, you get tickled. If you didn't notice it, it doesn't matter. And that's like the best way to do these callbacks. Um, I love Jack putting together his costume. It's so silly. Uh, also, what Jack does here, he's trying to put together his collection again. He's trying to rebuild his store because his store was destroyed. So he's making deals for uh, for just junk. He's trying to trying to get good prices on garbage so he can restock whatever store he's about to reopen here. Um, here we have but Jack. That's running. what I like about him. Like, I get frustrated a little bit with the A list heroes. Who don't seem to have a life outside of the watchtower? Sure, like they sure. just live in the watchtower, waiting for shit to happen. Exactly. exactly. I like the no, fact this, that that he's cool. like, I, I, I want to do my part and I want to step up, but I still have to live a life. I still have to pay bills. I still have to eat. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in in a in a weird way. It's like uh, I used to work over the road. You know, I would uh, I drove around town here doing uh, windshield repairs, but. Anytime I'd see a store that I thought might be might catch my fancy, I'd pop in there myself. You know, I'd be off the job to to look to in, indulge in my in my habits and my hobbies and my obsessions and stuff. So I, I feel like uh, that might be something that a lot of um, comics enthusiasts can relate to. Uh, I think Jack is a character that you know, if he were, you know, there's that whole attainability factor with. Uh, with like certain certain actresses or actors, if that's your thing, where it's like he's attainable, you know, because he's he's a normal guy, yeah, and he's not Superman, he's not Batman, he is someone you could see yourself talking to, and I mean, and he spent a page talking about the smell of old stuff. How he's many also times... he's also like not the Punisher, like the Punisher exactly. doesn't have any magic powers either. Sure, but you know the Punisher is like the baddest soldier ever, and like delivered yeah. by revenge and all that. Like Tunnel this is just a too. guy trying to make hay out of a shit situation. Exactly, exactly, and and he's he's very very relatable to uh, to a lot of uh, a lot of the folks reading. Which, I mean, I think it, I think this was like a perfect storm sort of situation because uh, this came out what ninety four ninety five when a lot of. Uh, a lot of folks who came in during the, you know, the the hoi polloi extreme era were uh, were getting a little older. You know, we were, you know, we were young teens when Young Blood came out, but we were older teens and college students when something like this came out. This matured with an entire generation of comics fans, and uh, and I mean, it it was like the perfect sort of a transitional book to from childhood to adulthood. Really, really good. Um, we also have Jack meeting uh, meeting Nash for the first time here, and uh, he's very nearly killed by her. Uh, she lets him go. She lets him go, and uh, will regret doing so uh, pretty soon. But this yeah, was she, uh, she didn't make a great decision here. No, no, very very bad decision. Um, but uh, another great issue, another great conversation with the father with uh, with Ted, and uh, I like that the whole time here he keeps saying like he's like. 
I'm not going to be Starman. I'm not going to be Starman. Oh, by the way, I need a new star rod. <laughs> and he's like, well, why would someone who's not going to be Starman ask me for a star rod? He's like, shut up, just get it for me. It's <laughs> really, really fun. Um, and he and he sent to like a storage facility, which is another one of those like, it's another one of those, maybe not so much a feast for the eyes, but it's interesting because you get to see a lot of weird shit. <laughs> it reminded me you of know? the Power Man show, um, mm. the uh, Luke Cage on mm-hmm. Netflix. There's a scene where uh, he he escapes from the prison and he's got this thing on his head from you know whatever mind control they were doing on him and he pulls he you know he's got to get out of the prison jumper so he pulls clothing off a clothing line and it's like a yellow blouse and blue pants and so, so it's he, his, his 70s costume yep yeah and he goes i look like a damn fool <laughs> um and it, it reminded me when I I was reminded of that as I was reading this because he's going through the stuff and he like grabs part of a costume. He's like, yeah, no. Yeah, it was just a giant star on it. <laughs> but yeah, this like kind of reminds me of um, if you've ever read uh, Incredible Hulk Future Imperfect. I have. Um, we actually did it okay. on the show. Okay, cool. There's a there's a page, a two page spread in that, I believe. It's been a long time since I've read it, but there's a two page spread, I believe where you see Rick Jones's trophy room mm-hmm. and it's all this just Marvel minutia, you know, it's like all this cool stuff. And this scene, while not to that level, it's also not drawn by George Perez, but it's cool in that same way where it's like, you're just pointing stuff out. as like, Oh, that's, that's very, very cool stuff. And it's just stuff that you wouldn't expect to see. But, uh, the, uh, the rod, I, I forgot that the rod didn't, Automatically, or didn't immediately look like the rod that I'm used to seeing Jack Knight carry with the little, you know, hook on the end of it. But uh, good stuff, good stuff. Um, and uh, it was the finishing touch on basically what this character is going to uh, to look like. And uh, what do we get here? We got Shade. We got Shade actually doing his thing here and uh, taking Ted Knight to the mist and sparing the Odairs. And he, he's very, very clear in the fact that he wants them to remember that he spared them because it'll, uh, it'll make sense later or something like that. But uh, ah, just another wonderful issue. Another fantastic issue. All right, issue number three is the conclusion of Sins of the Father. To save his father's life, Starman must again face the Son of the Mist. Each armed with one of Ted Knight's stellar energy weapons, the two combatants battle in the night sky over Opal City to the death. Meanwhile, the Shade reveals his own agenda, shifting the balance of power in the city. Yeah, so (laughs) Nash spared him, and then he went and killed her brother. Yep. Yep, sure did. He sure did. And I don't remember if this was in this issue or the one before that, but we mentioned Jack having... uh, having his memories kind of muddled. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where he uh, trades a bunch of comic books to get like a viewfinder or a view master, right? Where those things you put in your eye and you click, 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 and you see a little picture. And, uh, and his brother, David is like, ah, it's kid stuff. And, uh, and Jack's like, well, no, nah, there's, there's stuff with dad here. You know, there's, there's justice society stuff. So, you know, David grabs it and he starts clicking through it. And says, ah, oh, I'm going to be just like Dad when I grow up. And then he thinks to himself, wait, wait, that's not how it went. And it was actually Jack who said, I'm going to be just like Dad when I grow up. Right. Which is really cool. Really cool. I like that a lot because it's it's just another one of those signs that as they grew into adults, and we're going to see some of that, they they kind of went their separate ways in, in regard to interests where David did fall more in line with the superhero career and Jack was just Jack was doing basically anything he could to be opposite that like being like wasting in their in their eyes wasting money on stupid crap you know buying a cup spending a bunch of money on a cup you couldn't drink out of is one of the things that we saw here but it's a uh, I really like that scene because it's very very telling um, and it, it's just more of that heart. It shows that that Jack isn't this 
isn't this like rebellious cipher you know he there he has a heart here and he is doing things for a certain reason um there's a reason why he can't go why he can't leave you know his mother's museum wings already saved but he's still not gone yet you know, well, now he's, he's got to get his dad staying. back. His dad's been kidnapped. Yeah, now his dad's back. Yeah, now his dad's kidnapped. So he's he's still here. He keeps getting sucked back in. But uh, he's gonna stick around for a very long time. But I, the fight here is pretty cool. Um, when you read a book like this with an artist like uh, like Tony Harris here, I don't really think about action, you know. Um, but the action here is great. The action here is really good. Uh, I really like, you mentioned it before, I really like the conversation he has uh, in the flashback. Cups are for drinking. And I was like, no, yeah. this, was, this was a collectible. This is a collectible, item. yeah. Um, you know, I love the, I love how James Robinson wrote this, you know, in the terms of, like, he's forged this identity on wanting to be his own person, but he remembers that at one time he wanted to be like his father. And so much of what is internally driving him is to be accepted by his father who because he won't put on the star man outfit and go be a, a go be a hero is irritated with him at best and uh yeah. i really like all that i thought you know i thought there was like i said it's not a terribly complex story but you know the miss is out for revenge that's it that's the story mm. and that's but th there's a lot of layers to this in terms of interpersonal relationships, which I think is the best stuff of the best stuff in stories. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. It gives us a reason to care. If we think if we think the characters care and we think the creators care, then it's very easy for us to care. It's a uh, so it's kind of like tipping that first domino. So this is the issue where he agrees to continue being Starman on like two conditions one his father has to dedicate his life to you know real science not superhero science like stop making batman equipment and <laughs> and start using your gifts to better mankind and yeah. he was like i will help out when there's an obvious reason for me to help you know i will not turn a blind eye to nefarious deeds but i'm not putting on the suit and wandering the city at night which i loved I mm -hmm. loved that he put his foot down and he was like, I will continue to do this yeah. when needed. Other than mm -hmm. that, I have a life to live. I have a store to run. I am my own person. And this is the only way this is going to work for me. And the dad's like, okay. And like, I, I thought that was like a really heartwarming moment between the two, but I, I also thought it was a very real moment that, you sure. know, you know it, that in four issues, he didn't become a whole other person. Yeah. You know, no, he's, yeah, he's still very much his own man for sure. So I really liked all of that. Um, Nash suddenly not stuttering and being like, You're, you know, this Your isn't over. Is yeah. yeah. Um, You're not stuttering. That's not, that's, I'm a different person now. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very ominous. I'll be curious to see, you know, if I read any more of this, I'll be curious to see what else mm -hmm. she does. I guess, oh, I guess you yeah. said she, she turned out to be like a big part of this book. Yeah, and, and she'll do some things that, uh, that will shock you. That'll shock you. I, just, I don't want to ruin anything, but uh, some good stuff. Um, all right. So the next two issues are sort of one-shot single stories. So before is we this, move on to the... did Do we get the epilogues in this one? Is this the yes. issue with the epilogues with the other Starmen? Yes. Okay. This is where we meet Mikhail Tomas, the, uh, the Bronze Age Starman who appeared like a total of one time back in the 70s. Uh, James Robinson and I are kind of kindred spirits in that we have this weird appreciation for a series called First Issue Special that ran in the mid-70s. And uh, one of the First Issue Special issues was, let me see here, it was First Issue Special number 11, I think? Maybe it was 11. Uh, it was the first appearance of this Mikhail Tomas Starman. And uh, it's this blue-skinned fella here. And... He will go on to be a big part of the uh, of the the family of this book, but uh, James Robinson will dig from uh, dig bits and pieces from these first issue specials and bring them into the current day. And these are characters that you would have never seen before. You, you maybe seen them once if you had that issue of first issue special because so many of them didn't go anywhere. The only 
the only new property to come out of first issue special and actually make anything of itself is Warlord. Um, so that's uh, you have things like, let's see here, uh, Atlas, Atlas, a Jack Kirby character who went away after this issue was only brought back in an issue in a story in Superman by James Robinson in 2010 or so. You had the Green Team, Boy Millionaires, which before they were a New 52 thing, were gone for 30 years. Lady Cop, who you never see. She showed up in a couple issues of an, of The Atom back in like 2007. Um, the Dingbats of Danger Street, who never came back until an issue of Adventures of Superman in the mid-90s. Just very, very, very obscure characters here. And I love the fact that Robinson brought this Starman because the, the Starman mythos here is going to be examined here. We're going to get some stuff from Prince Gavin. We're going to get stuff from Will Payton. We're going to get stuff from everybody who ever had the name Starman. Kind of controversial because some people don't like that it all ties up so tidily, but I, I love it. I, I'm a sucker for lore. I'm a sucker for everything being on the table. So I have a weird appreciation for it. But here in the epilogue, we do see Mikhail Tomas. He's he's chained up as a circus geek, you know, and he's very much looking the part. Um, we get another epilogue with, uh, with Will Payton, the starman from the 80s, who just a few years before this we thought was killed by Eclipso. So he's shown here as being alive and he's tied up in some sort of a futuristic lab of some sort, but he will come back later as well. So really, really cool how we're setting this weird foundation for this book where it's not, it's primarily Jack's story, but it's not only Jack's story. We're going to be seeing anybody who was named Starman, anybody who's wielded a star rod will show up and uh, have a part in this volume. I'm surprised it wasn't like canceled and rebranded as Starman like they did with the Green Lantern. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let, let, let's hope that, that, that they don't bring it back. You know, don't put that out into the universe. <laughs> All right. Um, so the first one shot of this trade. So like I said, we're talking about the trade Sins of the Father, and the trade incorporates issues 0 through 5. Um, the actual Sins of the, Fa Sins of the Father story is 0 through 3. And then there's these two uh, one-shot issues, single stories, that uh, finish out the book. So issue number four, with the fall of the mist, Jack Knight tries putting his life back together, but his attempt to forget Starman proves futile when he receives a disturbing visit from the Golden Age Shade, who reveals strange hidden facets of Opal City. All right, so t tell me about this issue. What'd you think of it? Uh, another one I liked. Uh, the Shade here, he's kind of like a cat playing with a mouse. It's very, very funny. Um... Jack and and Jack, he sticks to his character here. Like he shows up and he's like, "Okay, leave. I don't want to see you. You know, <laughs> you're the shade. Get out of here. I don't need to. I don't need you in my house." My favorite and, uh, part shade. of this issue okay. was the one guy working for I forget who, but like he. So Jack's been acquiring uh, antiques and you know and things to fill his, his junk, yeah. his junk store. And he ends up with a bunch of Hawaiian shirts, and one of those Hawaiian shirts is the Gateway to Heaven. And he's like, Gateway I don't even want heaven. this. I don't even want to look at it. I that was my favorite part of the issue. I'm sorry, I cut you off. I had to, I had to share that with you. No, we'll get to that too. I don't remember if that comes back. I'm assuming it does. It's been it's been so long. But now, Shade, his diaries are going to play a big role in this story because it's. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for lore. I'm a sucker for continuity. I'm also a sucker for world building. And uh, they build a, a wonderful world in this volume. And a lot of that is going to... We're going to see a lot of that in, in the Shades' diaries here. And, and he's telling Jack, you know, you got to read this. You got to read this. And Jack's like, it's like, what makes you think I can even read in the first place? You know, it's like, I, I don't want to read and I can't read. So just get out of my house. But uh, what was the deal they made here? They... What did uh, what did man? What did Jack say? Ask the shade to do. I I don't remember. Well, I know like, I know what the shade wanted was for him to read his journal. Yeah. So what did Jack say? What was the deal though? God, what was it? I don't remember it. Damn it. Was it just was it just keeping keeping uh was it just keeping Opal City safe? Was it 
Yeah, I, I, well, I know that they have an exchange of something like, if I wanted to kill you, I would have. That's not what yeah. I'm here for. I, you know, there's things you need to know. I've been keeping journals. I've been around a lot longer than you think. You need to read my journals. Mm. And it's like, if you read my journals, there's not going to be any trouble. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was it. Okay, yeah, because and they're going to have a lot of these uh, meetings as the volume uh, mm. continues here. But with this freaking goofball with the Hawaiian shirts, man, uh, <laughs> Like he looks like he looks like a Grant Morrison character. He looks like someone who would be in the Invisibles or something. This, this weirdo. And I, I love the fact that Jack's like he's like I don't want it, but you're not going to steal it from me. He's like, well, what if I buy it? And he's like, okay, you can buy it if you can find it. It's in the back room. Don't even show it to me. Just go get it. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that. I don't remember where it's headed. Uh, I, I'm assuming it's heading somewhere, but uh, I don't remember exactly where it goes. But uh, yeah, a fun issue, a fun issue, a nice, a nice way to catch our breath here after after Sins of the Father, and a nice buffer between Sins of the Father and the next issue, which mm -hmm. is uh, a little heavier, a little heavier. Yeah, this one kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, mm -hmm. Issue number five. Uh, this is the one. I don't even have to read the the synopsis on this one. He basically like wakes up in this black and white universe. He's in a graveyard, and the only thing that's color is his dead brother, who won't tell him why he's there. And they have this. The whole issue is them talking and fighting. That's it. Yeah. Now this is the first talking with David issue. Um, you'll notice that it's called. I think it's called Talking with David ninety five. Um, let me double check here. I believe it's talk yeah, talking with David ninety five. So for nineteen ninety five. Every year there's gonna be an issue with this. So mm. for the entire run of this book, uh there's probably six or seven of these talking with David issues. And they're always a, a treat because it's you get to see Jack kind of decompress a little bit, kind of just digest everything that's going on. Because there's gonna be some hairy stuff coming. But here He's still dealing with the loss of his brother, and here he is faced off with his brother, and his brother's being kind of a dick. And it's uh, and it's funny because it kind of plays into Jack's narrative, Jack's Jack's figure of his brother, of being this sort of pompous dickhead who was always better than him. And that's why it's so awesome how it ends, where you know they beat the they beat the crap out of one another, they destroy this graveyard. And uh, it's about to become daybreak, you know, so so David's like, hey, I got to go. Got to go. I'm a dead guy. It's going to be daytime soon. I got to go. And uh, they stop and have this, like, this weird little touching bit at the end where where David talks about how much he envied Jack. Jack's ability to be his own guy. Jack not just being, not going directly into the family business just because that's what's expected of you. Jack did everything the other way. Jack has a has a rooster tattooed on his ass, apparently. Um, the phoenix. <laughs> but it looks like a rooster. Uh, <laughs> but it's just, it's really cool here. And it, and it really, it captures, it captures brothers really, really well. Because I think that, I mean, I have a brother. And I would, I would venture to say he's probably jealous of me as much as I'm jealous of him. Because we're, we're so different, but we come from the same place. And I think we see each other as being what we should be, you know? And it's, I think that's very common in siblings, common in families. So I love this issue for that fact where Jack, he's, he's been driven insecure by his parent, by his father and his brother. He's been made to think that he doesn't measure up, that he's not part of this part of the family basically he's an outsider and then we find out from David that he wishes he could have been more of an outsider he wishes he could have been uh, as free a spirit as Jack and I mean and the weird thing is like they're both their fates are pointed at the same exact thing and that's the Starman mantle it's just that the paths they take to, to get there is what defines them and uh and they both think that they're doing it the wrong way, and then they get this weird kind of justification that the other one thinks that they did it the wrong way. So it's really, really cool issue, and a, a wonderful way to end this volume because uh, 
because I mean, the sky's the limit after this. Um, and I love that it ends with like, I'll see you in a year. And they actually do it. They actually do revisit this every year after that. Wow. So overall, I would say the trade sins of the father issues zero through five were a very good read. I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought this was a really great um, choice for you to pick for us to read in the month of November. And I would be interested in reading more of this uh, this series. Oh, I, I hope you do. I, I mean, I know time is a premium for all of us, but uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a good one. This is one of those that uh, that DC's kept as an evergreen for a reason. And uh, usually, if you if you talk to people about like the 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 the, not their favorite 90s comics, but the best 90s comics. Starman's usually in that list, and uh, and with good reason. So Christian Month rolls on. Now, the next one, I did give him some guidance. I said, hey, we're doing, on a TV party, Jesse and I are going to talk Doom Patrol Season 2, which I mm-hmm. love Doom Patrol Season 1. I thought it was one of my favorite shows of last year. Um, so... Because we're doing another Doom Patrol, and I know that you were a big Doom Patrol fan, I said, Chris, why don't you go ahead and pick the book we're going to do? And you pick Crawling from the Wreckage. So that's yes. what we're going to talk about next week. Um, if you listen to our previous show, we sort of hashed this out on the show. Uh, we're looking <laughs> at a really weird one called Marville. Marville! And that's on the 23rd. Um, we're doing two shows that week. That one I'm doing with you, and then I'm doing a comic strip with Jesse as we're going to read the Morrison Hotel graphic novel that's due out tomorrow, November 10th, and we're going to listen to The Doors Morrison Hotel. So that'll be fun. It'll be kind of a mixed, uh, you know, instead of mixed comparing, media. Yeah, comparing <laughs> a movie to a book, we're comparing the album to the book. So it's kind of a metal hammer of doom slash uh, source material. That'll be fun. And then we end the month of November with Jeffrey Dahmer, an unauthorized biography. There's a comic book of this, and you pick. Oh, it. by Hart Fisher, yes, Hart Fisher, one of my heroes in the comics industry, a First Amendment warrior, um, a guy who literally puts his money where his mouth is, a guy who was who had the CBLDF turn up their noses at him because I don't think they thought they could win that case. Art Fisher is a badass and um, really um, he's a guy that should be talked about more as a, when it pertains to the First Amendment and, uh, and creators' rights and uh, so many things because uh, I can almost guarantee you that the Jeffrey Dahmer book won't be very good <laughs> but the story behind it and what came out of it is is utterly fascinating and um the stuff that this poor guy had to go through in the wake of it i mean his house was robbed and broken into the the news media told people that he wasn't going to be home um he was on sally jesse raphael where where they got into a big argument he was on a, a, a was it uh whatever that thing that maury povich had back in the 80s a current, the current affair, affair. was it yeah, he was on that. Uh, he was on the. He was on Larry King, and they were just running him up a, running him up a pole for uh, for doing for daring to do this Jeffrey Dahmer book, and uh, he has a hell of a story. He got into a legal battle with O.J. Simpson during the murder trial. Um, wild, wild story. Uh, I did a whole. Me and Reggie did a whole episode on Hart Fisher's life over on the Cosmic Treadmill. It was, to date, the longest um, the longest research that I'd ever done. I, I clocked in between 70 and 80 hours of research on this one man. And uh, I still feel like I only, you know, chipped the tip of the iceberg. It's hell of a story. Can't wait to talk about that. Can't wait to talk about Hart Fisher again uh, because he's, he's a hell of a dude, hell of a talent. And he listened to our show and liked it a lot, so... There's that. Uh, and if you can't get enough of that Christian, he and the other podsman, Chris Bailey, will be joining me to talk Survivor Series on November 24th. So that's what we mm-hmm. got going on. Um, I mentioned before, Chris Bailey and I reviewed AEW Full Gear today. So that's in the archives. That, come, that comes a day early. Uh, it was originally scheduled for Tuesday. Uh, last week, Chris and I talked Hellstorm, Son of Satan, Equinox. Um, I can't say enough good things about Robert Winfrey and Andrew Graham. They did an election coverage podcast uh, Tuesday night last week. 
during the election and it went about three to four hours um they're really smart guys they're really it was a fun show to listen to and regardless of how you feel about the election it's worth listening to them kind of talk about you know they 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 have their beliefs and practices but i thought they were very fair all around and in as as is our want on this network they were very liberal in their criticism of the media and how the media mm-hmm. handles things. So it's, it's worth a listen. Uh, I listened to it the other day while I was at work and they did a really, really good job. Uh, I wasn't a part of it because I was having technical difficulties. And then when I couldn't fix it, I threw a tantrum. So <laughs> 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 I missed out this year, but that's okay. I don't think my jaw at that particular day would have held up anyway. There uh, you go. And then myself and Alexis Haina reviewed the, uh, craptacular Hulu original Hellstorm, Hellstrom. Uh, oh, it was no good? Yeah, not not great. Mm. So uh, you can listen to us. Any dicks in a box? No. <laughs> no dick in a box from what I... <sighs> they, they impregnate a nun, though, with a demon, I think. There you go. So that's fun. Um, yeah, that's 30 minutes of me and Alexis trying to figure out what the hell we're going to say about this garbage show. <laughs> You know, some shows easily are an hour. Some don't, you know, only make it 30 minutes because what what can you possibly say? That was one of them. All right, go ahead and do your plugs and we'll get out of here. Okay, you can find my audio exploits at chrisandreggie.podbean.com where today I put out the 400th uh, program on that channel. Um, We launched the channel in 2016 or so, so in that time between then and now, the interim, I guess that's the word, there have been 400 programs there, and uh, today was uh, X-Lapsed episode 59, where I talked about Wolverine volume 7, number 1, which was a very long book and a fairly boring one, but uh, hopefully people will listen and uh, and enjoy what I have to say about it. Uh, there's also uh, show notes and blog posts aplenty over at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com, so chrisisoninfiniteearth.com and chrisandreggie.podbean.com. All right, folks, thanks for joining us here on Source Material Live. For Mr. Sheehan of the Cosmic Treadmill, I'm Mark Radulich. Be well, be safe, and behave. See ya.